Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. I am your host, Cody Ojeda. Um, joined as usual by Matt Olson, who has kindly taken some time away from his Perth Glory FIFA 16 career mode to join us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt, how are you doing today? Perth Glory FIFA 16, FIFA 16 career mode. Um, I'd like to say it's peak Kenny Lowe era, but I've actually done the opposite. Um, mm. I'm not sure we need to talk about it, but yeah, we don't need to talk about it. I basically tried to recreate 2023 glory with a um, seven-year-old team. Ryan Williams is around. Adam Taggart is around. Ruben Zagovic is player manager. You know, it's just, just same old, same old. <laughs> oh, the things you do when you bought a home or house-sitting, whatever you're doing. Nice to know that your life is going um swell <laughs> that's Thank you, mate. Thank you. one of the more interesting stories i've heard this week um well this is a front this is a early women's show we'll get that on the road and the biggest news in the league at the moment um ash wilson we spoke a lot about her on the last episode especially doing that review of the newcastle jets and i did say i think that she was probably the most likely to lose her job out of all the a-league women's managers so far and lo and behold um, from all accounts, it looks like she stepped aside herself due to work commitments. Um, obviously she's got a battle or not battle juggle, sorry, the better word, um, a coaching crew with Newcastle Jets and her day job as a PE teacher. It looks like that, um, burden has finally caught up to her and she stepped aside from the Newcastle Jets. Um, in comes Gary Van Egmond and definitely been an interesting start, a 3-0 loss to Canberra who were on a bit of a poor run themselves. What? But then today, actually, because we are recording Wednesday night, um, 2-0 win away to Western United. So, Matt, um, just track back for a second at least. Uh, mm. Ash Wilson gone. What were your original thoughts? Now, I don't remember if when we initially spoke about the Jets mid-season, which would be the last time we recorded uh, this show, did I mention Van Egmond's name? I, I may have done it off-air. Uh, in which case, kind of kicking myself. I think you mentioned him being was... part of kind of the setup, and yeah, he was actually filling the TD role at the yeah, time, he was, which is he why was. he's moved so into this. His his appointment sort of sets this team on the up and up. I just want to say the last time we had this conversation about a team being bad, um, <laughs> they revived in a way that no no one no living soul thought possible. Right. So if we have this doomsday chat about sort of where where can the Jets go with an appointment like that like Van Egmond. The opposite would happen. Unfortunately, the timing's off because it already has happened, Cody. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this, you know, you know, it's it's a common theme in sort of NRL or AFL football for you to just recognize when a team is due for a win. And I think A-League fans, soccer fans more broadly, football fans, you know, whatever we want to call ourselves, I don't think we ever have that moment where we recognize when a team is due for a surprising win. Um, and you could probably chalk that up to a lot of the happenings that are going on in the A-League women. Um, you know, I, I just can't believe how much, because, and again, we, we I know we're going to debate this later, right, about this whole sort of top four scenario um, and who I consider to be the big four still proceeding, proceeding there with their dominance. You sort of disagree, but again, we'll, we'll get into it. My point is this, right? It's an 11-team league. I have seen a spark of positivity and forms of a revival and something that I like about all 11 teams which means, yes, the top four might be closed off, but the league is extremely entertaining wherever you look at it, and there's there's some momentum going on. We thought the Wanderers were dead. 
I don't, I'm not sure I've even processed what's happened there, to be honest, for them to beat City and Weston in the fashion that they did. Now we've seen it from the Newcastle Jets. So honestly, my, my thoughts on this are not um, too too clear and too specific because I unfortunately didn't get to watch the game this afternoon. But um, all I can say is if you were to, if you were to ask me th- 30 minutes before kickoff what I thought was going to happen, I'd have probably given the Jets a sniff. And I'm really, really happy to see this happen. Um, Gary Van Egmond, for all his experience, he's just someone that gets the ins and outs of that club. I think he's the right appointment, but I understand that he is better off as a director. And I can think of many examples, you know, especially as I know I know the glory quite intimately. I know a lot of examples of, of, of sort of managers who work better as technical directors and work better as player, player development. Uh, in in a player development role, sorry. And those people don't necessarily work out as coaches and they're not really there to fill that role, but they can be really good caretaker managers and they can be there um, to, to do a job to, to stem the flow. So GVA, uh, GVE, working uh, the rest of the season with the Jets, I think um, I think there's positive momentum there and something to certainly um, mull over for a, for a while there. So yeah, good, good on them. Um, you know, I, I think we can say now with the, with the Phoenix having their moment with their big win, we've seen that big sign of positivity. Um, and again, women's football needs the vibes because of the Women's World Cup. Um, I'm getting way off topic now, going off on a tangent. But yeah, Jets, it's good to see, Cody. Over to you. Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I think especially after the first game, I probably had my concerns about Vanegon coming in. But look, could have been reactionary. I think it's always every team has that new manager bounce whenever a new manager comes in. There's a quick turnaround. People want place performances lift because they want to impress that person coming in. And for that first game to go the way that it did for them to kind of collapse the way they did in the second half, I was like, okay, if this is what they're doing when the manager comes in, imagine what's what it's going to be like when everything's settled. But to come out the way they did today, and look, it does come from probably Vendigmont's style a little bit, uh, definitely a lot more animated than what Ash Wilson was. Ash Wilson, very calm figure on the bench. Sat back, kind of took the game in, whereas Van Egmont's definitely on the front foot with his players. Um, definitely very, very specific directions in what he wants to do, particularly um, in pressing situations. And look, they I've never seen a team press Western United like that before. And look, it's only been six months that they've been in the league, so I guess there's not much opportunity to see that. But the, the reality is I've never seen a team really give it to Western United like that. And the, the manner in which they won was quite impressive. They won 2 nil. It definitely could have been a lot more. Ash Brodigan missed a golden chance um, earlier in the match before getting one of her own. Um, finally getting a goal. Had a run of corners uh, throughout the match, which obviously they were eventually able to take advantage of. But the point is, yeah, there, there's something in that, there was something in that performance today that shows, okay, that there is that ability that we were talking about during the mid-season review. That's now coming to light, and it's coming to light because Gary Van Egmont's really been able to come in and probably just give them kind of that kick that they needed, just that boost in confidence, performance, whatever they really needed. Maybe a little shift in the playing style, in the tactics of it. Like I said, they look like they're pressing their um, defending on the front foot a little bit more, which probably took West United by surprise. Might probably do need to take into account as well. West United were a little bit under strength players like um. Uh, Danielle Steer, Elan Cern starting on the bench today. Um, Sinclair actually coming in for her first start in A-League women's history. Uh, big congratulations to her considering the career that she's had. But definitely a good performance from the Jets. I don't want to be reactionary and say, yep, that's it. They're going to be on the up straight away because it is only one result. But look, they've got Perth this weekend. 
if they can build on build on that again, get two from two. You never know. Look, they're obviously out of the finals race of this season, but if then let's just say Gary Vanderbilt does stay on in that role, you never know what he's going to build. And even if he doesn't, it'd be very interesting to see, if, especially if he does move into that technical director role, who he allows to come in into that head coaching role, what kind of manager it's going to be. I could only assume it's probably going to be someone from the NPL, which, look, I'll be honest, I'm probably not across 100% who the best candidates would be in that regard. But yeah, it's definitely interesting times for the Jets, especially something to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks, I reckon. It's an interesting point. Um if you were to think of sort of uh you know managers in the in the female game um that, that that speak out i i don't know what angle they're going to take um importing someone from the mpl i feel like that's probably around about where newcastle are at bearing in mind they certainly can't splash any cash for anyone um but you know look at <laughs> i hate to say this I hate that this is my only example, but look at Alex Parkas, right? Glory, glory are probably playing against the Jets at the worst possible time, but going to Macedonia Park is always tough. And if Parkas pulls that off, he's got the team in fifth, right? Fifth with a goal difference that is going to either be zero. That's if results go his way, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I'm I'm painting this hypothetical for a very important reason. I'll get back on the Jets. I know we're talking about the Jets, but I'll get, I'll get back on this. Alex Parkas, uh, I don't know, let's say it's a 2-0 it's a win. So the um, goal difference goes from negative one to a uh, positive one. That puts them in fifth. Um, I want to say five points, six points behind Melbourne victory. At which point... Thereabouts, um, yeah. Sorry? They'll be there, thereabouts. Yeah, that, 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 I'm that not doing the math on top of my head. No, no, no I, I'm just pointing it out because I believe that Brisbane are fifth now. Um, but Brisbane have negative seven goal difference. So if Perth, if Perth win the game, they move straight into that spot. Point that I'm making is is exactly this, right? Alex Apakis in two straight seasons has basically come from being an unknown, certainly to the Western Australian audience, and has been able to take that team to, to fifth and to a season where with approximately seven games left, six for some, they would be yeah fifth and knocking on the door of the top four yet again right so you can consistently say on a results basis that's what they would do who's to say regardless of the managerial appointment from a newcastle perspective that the exact same turnaround can't happen if recruitment goes well enough if the locals buy into the vision if it's someone that is familiar enough with the club and familiar with setups and has the right connections in the right places because connections with certain players and certain communities regardless of geographically where they're from, if they can be bought into a club and change that club's fortunes, there's no reason why that can't be a turnaround and can't be a really positive outlook on where the, where the club is going. So from, from the perspective of the appointment, I have to mull over it and, and admit that my knowledge is, is certainly probably even worse than yours, Cody. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't know who's there. But the point is, it can be done. And the blueprint for it, ironically, is the club they're playing at the weekend. <laughs> Um, no, but even um, I, Kat Smith probably is a good example of it where, you know, she was doing really well in the MPL in Victoria. Wanderers took a pun on her and kind of similar to the way Alexa Parkas, that first season with the glory, you remember, wasn't good at all. They really had to kind of buy into his vision, give him some time. But once he was really able to implement his style, once they got the recruitment right as well, of course, they were actually to build something really special. Wanderers, obviously, it's kind of fast-tracked that. It hasn't taken a whole season of... Um, pain in a way, I guess. But yeah, they did that, the same instance where they had that slow start, made a couple of changes. Suddenly they're doing really good again. So 
if you're willing to kind of have that patience and buy into what a new manager can bring to you, there's no reason why Newcastle Jets can't do the same thing. And look, if you want to talk about maybe not someone from the NPL, but, you know, Catherine Canuli obviously didn't have the best time at Wanderers. I don't, I don't really know the ins and outs of why she left, but maybe if Newcastle Jets are willing to take a punt on her and give her time, you know, maybe we didn't get to see a whole lot of Catherine Canuli and what she could do at the Wanderers because the time was kind of cut short. Obviously, like I said, not 100% across the reasons why that was the case, but look, that might be a name there if they're looking, if they're not looking to keep Gary Van, Van Egmond long-term and they're just looking at him as kind of, yep, we'll just let you see out the season. Next season, we're going to try and build something. But if they're going to do that, the next manager they need to bring, they bring in needs to be someone that they are willing to back in the long-term. Kath Canuli doesn't work, in my opinion, um, because the Wanderers, if anything, sort of would have had a little bit more resource at their at their disposal. True, and I think true. with the Jets, you're getting a club that there's no experience and there aren't many resources around. You need someone who works small scale in the MPL and knows how to succeed with small scale, or you need the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like a Van Egmond, who has all the experience in the world, would would die for the club and just, you know, can... can, can um, I think that's probably the big thing. There's someone that really knows the club. And if you look, if you're looking at maybe someone in the Northern New South Wales NPL, then look, yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all hypothetical, of course. But like, like I said, though, but, but, but like I said, Alex Parkas is not native to Western Australia, is he? Yeah, but so, he's also so, brought a whole lot of New South Wales talent over. That's exactly the point that I'm making. So knowing knowing the ins and outs of the club, I mean, not necessarily, but I kind of get the vibe you were going with, right? Because that, that's exactly who and what Van Eggman does. But I think, you know, to, to use the example of, like a middle-of-the-road sort of A-League a uh, you know, manager, I, I think that's actually the worst possible choice. I'm going I'm to be honest with you. True, true someone – no, I mean yeah, – and we'd also be giving a new manager a chance, though, wouldn't we? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm all for giving, that, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, think, I think going for a middle-of-the-road appointment, someone with a bit of A-League experience, doesn't have the same, same effect as going with a really profound, more technic- technically advised person like Gary Van Eggman – or someone that comes in um, from that small-scale NPL environment and completely turns a club around with, you know, players of their own background that they like or, you know, w- w- whatever it be. And I, I think that that is particularly in this competition, particularly with the way that this competition has gone about its business as of late, I think that's the way forward for the Jets. Um, but in the short term, this season, um, we know that they're not making any any drastic, uh, you know, climbs up, up the table, but... And I think I think if I'm right in the mid-season, I've basically written them off and said that the, given the positivity that I've seen from the Wanderers and uh, and, the, and the Phoenix, that they probably are more than likely to finish with the wooden spoon. It was a very, very harsh judgment. And I think me just being very excited by what the Wanderers had just come off the back of doing. And also and also, and also our curse coming back to bite us where we really put a team down and then they decide to kind of get their shit together. That's another thing. Why are we <laughs> exclusively choosing that our main feature of the podcast should be to fucking, like, just slaughter. A I never mean for that. Like, anything. look, it's not our intention. No, Cody, it's not. It's not our intention. It's definitely not our intention. And I kind of feel bad. This how it's turned out. Because look, if we look at what we're going to talk about tonight, and this is going yeah. to be a, bit of a spoiler, we're not trashing on anyone tonight. We've probably learned our lesson in that regard, in a way. No, no and <laughs> I think we we can admit we can admit in having this sort of pseudo uh, conversation about sort of top top four. You know, the, we've spoken about the fact that we both firmly are of the belief that the the dub should have a top six anyway um but the the like the 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 humble pie is firmly being eaten the spoons are very very much in our mouths right because like i said 
like you can't fault anything that any of these 11 clubs are doing now. Now, now that we've seen signs from Wondrous Jets and the Phoenix, is there actually anything wrong that any of these 11 clubs are doing? I'd argue no. And it's, so, it's something that's a big argument with the early women's because it's why the competition's so tight because every team kind of has, whether it's kind of an exciting front line or a few decent players kind of sprinkled the other side, there is something likable about every team. And last week I said, well, not last week, last episode, I said about the Jets where there wasn't really much that I saw that excited me. Whereas now, you know, I'm actually seeing a style of play that, you know, it's aggressive, it's on the front foot. And while there's probably not any players in particular, maybe Sarah Griffiths could come to mind, but any players in particular that are real standouts of an A-League level, if they're able to perform well as a unit, they're actually, a, they're, they're a decent football team. I don't yeah. th- and that's, yeah. that's probably the best compliment I can give them right now. They're playing like a good A-League women's team again. And I think that's something that hopefully people on the um, up in Newcastle are excited about. Um, we've spoken about a fair bit about the top four, and yeah. I'm going to get straight into that because I've said for two episodes in a row, no, just last episode, that I do believe that the top four race is done and dusted. I kind of want to take that back because there's, there's a six-point gap right now between Brisbane in fifth and Melbourne Victory in fourth. But one, Brisbane have a game in hand. So they win that game, it goes to three. Hmm. Brisbane and Victory play this weekend now. And I think if Brisbane win, and it's an it's an if, but you got to remember as well, Brisbane are at home. And I know you have some interesting, interesting things about where Brisbane are playing their home games at the moment. But if Brisbane were to win that game, they could be looking at getting equal on points with Melbourne Victory. And obviously, you've got to take into account the goal difference. They said Brisbane's already aren't too good. Hmm. But... If they can get equal on points, you can't say that the top four races are done dusted, no matter what the goal difference looks like. I think the the, the thing that you're missing with this is one, um, if you put if you want to put the games into account, it's actually Perth that should be fifth on on games played and paying opponents to come. Um, so if you want to get into the hypotheticals, um, I'm already sort of disagreeing with you there. Secondly, what I'd say is you're looking at it solely from the perspective of if Brisbane win, this happens. If Brisbane win, this happens. Brisbane need to do this. You, the situation that you're actually describing, I think, should be victory fail to do this and victory fail to do this, victory fail to do this. The reason for that is, like, and, and I'm, I'm going to use victory as an example because I firmly think that they're strong enough to be top four. This is what we said mid-season. They're strong enough to be top four but they're not strong enough to be like a a premiership challenger, right? They're a championship challenger, but they're not a premiership challenger and they're a good finals team. That would require an absolutely monumental choke job from a team that I don't really think has that sort of reputation. So it's nothing about Brisbane's form. It's nothing about Canberra's form. It's nothing about Adelaide's form. It's nothing about Perth's form. It is about Melbourne victory choking. Do I think they're capable of doing that? Not even in the slightest. Sydney are too good. City are too good. Western are too good. So what conversation are we having, Cody? Like, I, I, I just think, like it's, I think it's interesting because... No. Look, no, but considering the state that we were looking at the league just two weeks ago, mm. it, this top four race is done and dusted. But, and you are right, it is in Melbourne Victory's hands. And it's not about if Brisbane can do this or if Perth Glory can do this. It's about if Melbourne Victory don't win that match, if Melbourne Victory can't hold on to their spot. Now, I understand it's about that. But it's a valid question to ask. Because if Melbourne Victory go to Brisbane, they have a poor game. Brisbane win that match. Let's just say mm. Perth win the two games in hand they have on Melbourne Victory. Both of those teams are fighting are now 
okay. fighting for okay. that top four I'll, spot. I'll take that. I'll take that on face value and say this: that still leaves a window of about four games where victory are probably going to be significantly stronger than both Brisbane and Perth, and probably have a hold on. Oh, what if they're not? Yeah. Okay. All crazy right. things have All happened. Right. Crazy things have crazier happened. things crazier things have probably indeed happened. I think you're you're filling this with with an air of let's see what this team can do. Let's see what this game team can do. I, I just I I think there's a bit more a bit more to the picture than what you're giving off, but um that means that I'm the one that's given 100 percent negativity in every subject matter that we've touched, and you're the one that's now been positive. So <laughs> and no, but you're talking as well. But, like okay. you, go. You're saying even after this game. Brisbane then need to go on a run. Their next two games, albeit away from home, are Perth Glory and Wellington Phoenix. Now, that probably rules one of them out. Let's just say Perth Glory and Brisbane were to win this weekend. Melbourne victory, lose to Brisbane Raw. Brisbane Raw. The next week, Perth and Brisbane play each other. If one wins out of that, the other was probably out of the top, out of the top four race, yes. But whoever wins that, if they can keep that run going, they're, they're still in that race. And I, it's not... I, I don't we think also, this is the biggest hot take that I've said on this podcast. Touch on you, uh, Alex and Parkers has just come out. I hate, I hate that I spend all this time talking about Perth. I'm, let, let's just make let's just make this clear. My role is technically a contributor and a writer, and I've, I've we've just had the Nick Olsen article release. That's great, but the reason why I spend all this time talking about Ruben and Alex is because I actually go to the club and I actually talk to them. Right? I've, I actually, I actually, I've gone and interviewed them, and Alex has been really, really honing home. So again, I'm I'm sorry that I have such a strong Perth focus, but this is this is quite literally what I do because I'm the WA contributor. Alex Buckers has honed home that there's actually a lot of games coming up against Macedonia Park, and they are against really vital rivals. But as I've said time and time again, and as I said in the mid mid-season review, that there's there's nothing missing with this team, but there is an air of of the the fact that they can be quite inconsistent. You get the exact same vibe from Canberra and the vibe from Brisbane. I've already given this to you. I might as well even have my my stadium spiel while we're at it, going off on this tangent. Um, Brisbane Roar are just a very mere team, right? And and the thing is, we've we've seen this over ten plus games, eleven games, twelve games in some cases. And my my whole problem with what Alex Barkas is saying is, yeah, they probably are going to have these run of games at home and do well as all Perth teams do, but there's just as many games going on in that run home for victory to make up points for Western United to make up points for Melbourne City and Sydney to make up their points. And they've already had this stranglehold on the top four in all the meantime. I don't know what the rhetoric has been like out of Adelaide, for example. I know that a lot of Adelaide people have actually been disappointed with the downturn that the team was on. If you ask me, they were overperforming in the first place. Brisbane, well, let's just talk about Brisbane for a quick second. This game against Victory is at Perry Park. It's actually in Brisbane. They've spent the entire season not playing in Brisbane. And I'll tell you why that really bothers me. They don't need to play at a big... 12,000 seater stadium in Redcliffe like the men's team do. The, the, the A-League women's has a set of standards for whatever reason, whether we like it or not, women's football, women's football is not well attended, right? So they've had stadiums in Brisbane and closer to the city that they could have been using this whole time. And no disrespect to Peninsula Power, but I don't like AJ Kelly Park at all. I actually, like, I just think it's a crap venue to watch football from. I think it's a crap venue for football on TV. And it's a massive inconvenience for the players Nick Olsen literally explained this to me. It's out there on FPF. Read about it. It is frustrating having to drive that long to go to your games and be recognized as the home team. It's not an advantage at all. Like I've, I've had a, I've had a player say this to me, right? So <laughs> like, I just, I just wonder with Brisbane, what, what they can do to turn that around 
And also for some of their more recognized players, I think the fact that um, I hope I don't get a name on it. Is it Indy Page Riley, right? So she's, she's yeah, India Page Riley. Yeah, that's right. She's come in and she's been really, really solid player for that team. But they've had to report, they've had to require that recruitment to come in and do a really, really solid role straight off the bat. I don't think, I don't think that's a massive, like, I don't think that's a hot take by any means. But the point that I'm making is the talent that was there to begin with was already lacking, right? So to say that Brisbane are, are are a big threat, I just I just don't agree. And this 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 conversation is going on and on and on. You can doubt what Alex and Parkers is saying. You can doubt a lot of the pessimism that's coming out of Adelaide. You can doubt a lot about Brisbane just by looking at the way that the squad had been playing initially. Canberra, I don't even actually need to finish my sentence. <laughs> like like no, they, not, they can turn it on when they they can turn it on when they're on. They're, 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 a good side. they're a good side on paper. No, no, no. Their good days, their good days are incredible. They have incredible players. Their I've bad been saying days that not so much. Their bad days are even worse than their good days are good. And the other teams are probably too far away to be in the picture. I, I know there was rhetoric around, oh, was it you that said this? Someone was like, oh, the Wanderers can be top four. Why not? They've, they've I believe that was Teo Pelletieri. It was, okay. I don't know why I thought it was you. <laughs> no, I've never said <laughs> but, Wanderers are in the race of the top four. Yeah, Once they I were mean, on that like, run, they, they started the season on. They were done and dusted. Yeah, but like my whole my whole point is, can we just can we just leave it alone and accept that it's the final system that's flawed? Because yeah, oh, I, we've I, we've both said the final system flawed. I think that's that's a fact that is out there already, and hopefully will be taken into account by last, higher beings. The last thing I want, Cody, is for us to have this conversation for for us to buy into the conversation and then have egg on our faces. That's all. And I'm just Look, I'm if I had to, if I, no, the thing is, I think you're getting confused with what I'm saying might happen between what I think will happen. If you ask me my prediction, I think the top four stays as it is. Okay. Uh, maybe it shuffles in between each other, but I don't think Melbourne Victory are going to drop out. I just think Brisbane aren't to- Brisbane and Perth aren't mm. totally out of the equation anymore. I think they've worked their way back into it. They've worked their way back into the fight. Do they come out on top? Probably not, but there is a chance. That's that's my main point. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And it's mainly because I want to take back what I said, that it was done dusted, and now... There, there is a chance that they could actually push for that top four spot. And mm. I think they will push for it. Will they get there? Like you said, Melbourne Victory are an incredible side. They've got a lot of depth in their they've got a lot of depth in their side. They may not be able to push for that championship or premiership yet, but they are a good finals team. And the one thing they will make sure of is that they are in a position to fight for that grand final and that premier that premiership not premiership. They will be in a position to fight for that championship. But if they slip up this weekend, they give Brisbane Raw and Perth Glory a massive opportunity to take that spot off them. So this match, whether you believe Brisbane are out of it or not, because if Brisbane win this game, Perth win that, win their game on the weekend too, you can look at the ladder after the weekend. I'll be right in saying they are within a shot. It comes down to this weekend, but, and I think in that with that into account, this Brisbane Raw victory game is probably going to be one of the most pivotal, pivotal of the season. I just, I just um, want to point out also that a lot of the talking points today are, are going to come full circle. With with Glory playing the Jets, we're seeing the ultimate test of, of uh, revitalized Jets. With uh, Victory playing Brisbane, and then with Perth playing Brisbane, it's almost like a it's almost like a, a dub Super Series Cup to to decide if if the finals narrative is big or not, or whether the, or whether the Jets have the medal and all these big talking points they come into a head. And uh, and we've got to go back after a fortnight and dissect it all. So, so yeah, but there'll be a fortnight's worth of games to dissect after that. Yeah, and look, exciting I think we'll... state of the dub, 
with um, sorry, I've, I've interrupted you again. Exciting state of the dub with like seven hundred percent more tangents at the end of it. If this goes the other way, <laughs> oh, that'll be one crazy episode if all this plays out. I'm telling you now, if Brisbane win this game on the weekend, if Perth win and they end up fighting for that top four spot, I am not letting you forget a next episode. So look, we'll move on. There is one last topic that I want to talk about, and that would be not necessarily dub news, but just general Australian women's football news, and that is. The Matildas uh, squad for the Cup of Nations in New South Wales has dropped. Um, if we do want to hone in on the dub aspects of it, um, five players from the league have been called up, um, three of them being the usual suspects, which you would expect to be in the side at this point, being Katrina Gori, Alex Chidiak, and Courtney Vine. Um, Claire Hunt, looking like she could possibly make her debut. Uh, big congratulations to her. And probably one of the more... Um, definitely think there's a bit of sentiment that people maybe don't necessarily agree with this call, but Larissa Crummer is in the squad again. Um, they're one of only two strikers, including Sam Kerr, which is the obvious pick in that side. Although Tony Gustafsson isn't afraid to play her in the back line, which does confuse me a little bit, but you know what you do, you Tony. Um, one question I want to pose to you, Matt, is there anyone else in the Ailey women's that you think is unlucky not to be in this squad? And is there anyone that you think has been selected that you might question yourself? The the short answer is no. Um, and my philosophy around this um, is pretty simple. The World Cup is is five months away. Five months. It is it is World Cup year in the host country. And there's just no time to 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 tinker around. I mean, you're you're going to get an opportunity with with the Cup of Nations. Um, you know, we're we're going to play against Spain in particular, who I think will be a, a you know a particular particularly strong battle. Let's not forget the seven nil seven nil. Well, loss look, since then a lot of those key players have had falling outs with the FA, so they're not actually bringing a very strong side over. Well, yeah, okay, but okay, uh, I uh, trust the Spanish man to make it a bloody Spanish football podcast. <laughs> Let That's me, all let I want to say about it. I'm not going out, into that any further. Let me point out what, what the issue was with that loss. Tony Gustafson, Tony, Tony Gustafson, please edit that out. No, don't, don't. Go for it. Tony Gustafson, <laughs> I said it wrong again. Big Tone, the coach, rotated a lot of the team. Yeah, here we go. He's laughing now. Big, Tony, oh Tony, Tony Gustafson <laughs> rotated the squad. That was and and that ended up being the 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 contribution behind the loss, the embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing knockout that we uh, received. And look, if we're plugging articles, I did write a whole article on how that yeah. was the main reason behind it. So mm-hmm. yeah, go check that out too. Check out my work, please. Yeah. Oh, please, please go back. It, it's obviously a little bit old now, but we don't we don't care. The more people read FBF, the more we feel your support. Let me let me just not go off on a tangent and actually be coherent for two seconds. All right, you ready? So we know that the rotation was was the big key behind the disaster at the Asian Cup. We know that the the, the rotation was a big problem when it came to uh, you know um, the lost to Spain. Sorry, not thinking my words through. But I don't mind a bit of rotation here or there when it comes to the case of Larissa Crummer in particular. And the the case is is as simple as this, right? Larissa, her career with the Australian national team goes back to I believe when she was nineteen. She got her first cap. She's someone that's having a bit of a career revival. She hasn't been poor by any means for for, for the Raw at the moment. And 
she's someone that actually just understands the setup. Unless you're someone like Courtney Vine, who is having the rise and experiencing your career unfolding at this very moment in time, you do not deserve to be in that squad. And I, I'm just spitting facts here. <laughs> you do, like you don't. We don't want to send someone that is experimental in in an environment where every home game we have is going to be a direct simulation of the World Cup. All we need is experience, experience, and nothing else. I, 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 and this is where I'd go as far as to say that, like, even even the talking point around, like, I don't know, Mackenzie Arnold's playing well in the Women's Super League. I'd still be putting Lydia Williams in there purely because she has all the experience in the world and she and she deserves the occasion more than anyone else. You know, it's just a, a sort of brief example that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with where Tony's going, but here's the thing. He's made a lot of really monumental stuff-ups and he can't afford them anymore. So this tournament, let, let's also bear in, bear in mind that we also have some weaker nations in the tournament as well. The experience there is different. Maybe you can tinker when you're playing against a weaker opponent. But, you know, an open message to Tone. Listen, if we're beating Indonesia 18-0 and, uh, you know, keeping the same squad and wearing them out, right, that's great. But that's the one time where you should tinker. Don't tinker later when when we're playing a really important clash against a European nation. I don't know. Just maybe an idea, Tone. You know, you know what I mean? So, like, oh, I just... Oh, God. Stick, stick with stick with what's there, but tinker when it's right. And I think that's where the selection of Larissa Crum, in particular, of all the names you mentioned, actually fits in perfectly. People are people are talking about uh, you know Mackenzie Hawksby or, or that kind of name. I get it. I, I trust me, I get it. But I also understand that without much experience there, you're taking a very big gamble at the most important time in the history for women's football on this entire continent. Not this but country. The I, thing I'm is, not, there's people with experience that are arguably playing at a better level than what Larissa Cromer is right now. That's the thing. Like you look she at debuted, Pri- she debuted like eight years ago. Like <laughs> Hey, Princess Sabini debuted a long time ago as well. She might be young still, but she's been in and around that setup for a long time. Yeah, okay. And she's playing exceptionally well at the moment. I think she just had her hundredth, was it her hundredth game for Sydney FC that she celebrated? Exactly. It's, it's it's a good shout. It's a good shout. It's, it's a great shout. And look, the, the I understand the whole, you know, she's got the experience, we'll work her back in, um, that whole tinkering sort of thing. But we have tinkered with her already. She was part of that. She was part of that 7-0 loss, mind you, to Spain. She has been in the squad. Uh, she was, um, got on the field the last time we played Sweden, where we won 4-0, um, although she played it right back. I'm just thinking, if you're going to keep tinkering, I don't know if she's going to be at shoe in for the World Cup. You know, you got um Kai Simon obviously to come back in. Hopefully, she can uh, recover from her injury in time. Of course. But the point is, there's people there that you probably that probably do deserve a bit more of a shot that haven't got it yet. And another one actually that you know maybe isn't the first name on the you know the first name that's going to come to mind if you're talking about people that are certainties for the Matildas, but probably not one to discount is Michelle Heyman. And you want to talk about experience? She's got bucket loads. Oh, yeah. And she's playing well. You look at mm-hmm. like, look, we're talking about Canberra and they probably haven't been the best of sorts lately. But every time she's on the ball, she's class. And there's yeah. something you can't deny. And she, it's that out and out striker that would be, even if you're going, even if you take her just as that back up to Sam Kerr, I don't think that's a bad shot. Yeah. The thing the thing is, Cody, I I would still be putting a punt on someone. when Because here's, here's the thing, when I talk about being familiar with the setup, right? 
I'm talking about being familiar with the individuals, but I'm also being being very particular about the experience because, and this is almost exclusively because it's a home World Cup, right? So uh, Larissa's had 20 caps, right? Now, I don't know how many, to use a direct example, I don't know how many Princess Sabini has had. She probably probably has had a few, but less than 10. Is that? Talking eight games, one goal. Okay. The thing is, though, if you're looking at a current form as well, like they've both been in and around the setup. I, I don't know. Like, okay. I, I think I... you should be taking form into account as well. Form? Yes. Yes. But if you go back to the Men's World Cup, and I said this, I said this, and he scored a goal for us, right? I said Mitchell Duke is going to be vital because he just there's just something where he gets it. He gets it with that experience. Someone like Kramer could step up in the most unlikely way possible when when we expect it the least over someone like an Abini. Um, I don't know why I'm focusing so much on her, but I think I think she's just a name that sticks out because, you know, if, if she was if she was there playing in sort of the, the mid to late 2010s, she was there when when Sam Kerr was 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 going absolutely gangbusters, scoring incredible goals against Brazil and China and the USA and the Tournament of Nations. Not sure that Larissa played in that particular tournament, but the one we won in 2017. All these all these things that I can think of where that experience at at an international level and an international level at home, where you get it even more, where you've played a lot of caps at Amy Park or Olympic Park or where, wherever we will be at any moment in time. And that experience just counts for everything. Something that I think a player like a Mackenzie Hawksby certainly doesn't have, a player like a Princess Sabini won't have. That makes me sound like I'm really biased against Sydney, but I promise you I'm not. <laughs> and I just, you know, I, there's just something that I see in bringing a lot of experience to the table. It's, you know, it worked for Graham Arnold in the men's game and there's no reason why it can't work for Gustafsson in, 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 the, in the female game as well, particularly with the fact that these venues are the ones we're playing our matches at. There's just, there's just something about that, that with seven, eight years of experience in the game, being selected makes a lot of sense. And more importantly, we're not, we're obviously not talking about the, the, the squad for the world cup. We are talking about the squad for a tournament before the world cup at home. And I, and I still apply the exact same thinking because you're playing at home, because you're soaking up the atmosphere, because you're getting that experience. And if 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 after the Asian Cup disaster, if you know after overperforming at the Olympics and everyone making a big deal out, out of it, after everything that man's been through, if he can if he can just get a solid result against the likes of Spain at home with this formula, I'm going to back it all the way, because because what I believe in is I believe in experience more than anything in a tournament setting, because a tournament setting is unlike the football that you're playing you know, 12 months of the year, most of the time. And let me just reiterate this again. This is an opportunity that is unparalleled for anyone else in the continent. I don't mean the continent as in Australia is a continent and a country. I mean, the continent as in the entire Eastern hemisphere of planet earth, right? Like we, we have a very, very unique opportunity and we need to make the most of that in the right way possible. Going with experience is the right thing to do. Okay. You're talking about going with experience. Why not Michelle Heyman? Michelle Heyman, I think when I when I think of the OG Michelle Heyman, I still think of the Canberra United OG Michelle Heyman. Her time with the Matildas, her time with the Matildas has maybe not been as fruitful as we'd ever expected due to her, her goal record at club level. But that being said, when did I ever say that I was unopposed to Michelle Heyman? I, I just like I, I'm saying that okay, I understand that there's a point of difference there with maybe Larissa Crummer. Crummer. But I never said I disagree with Michelle Heyman as a pick. Michelle Heyman is probably the type of player that I'm describing right now as I'm talking to you, to be honest. 
Okay, so what you were talking about before was more just that Cromwell-Beanie debate. That's the thing, like, Heyman, look, she's 34 years old now. I understand if maybe you're still trying to look for that next generation, Cromwell does kind of fit that bill, but if you're looking for immediate results in that tournament, Michelle Heyman will get you those. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair shout there. If you're if we're going off your argument, which look I do understand, it is a tournament. It's a tournament on home, so we need to make sure we get it right. And maybe instead of looking to the future or looking at those players that are going to be good for the long term, we're looking at the ones that are going to make an impact now. Then, yeah, we do need some of that experience. But even in that regard, I do think there's better options. And that's no disrespect to Crum. I think Crum is a great player. I just think at this present moment in time there are going to be other players that can come into that squad that'll do a better job than what she will. Okay. Well, um, Cody, um, two of the three um, content topics that we have discussed on today's podcast, we have disagreed on. There's nothing wrong with a bit of disagreement. If anything, the, the debate is, is good to have. Who, who do you send? Look. Bearing in, in, mind, bearing in mind, bearing in mind, this is not the World Cup. This is a, this is a tournament where it's traditional just muted myself, where you play a friendly and rotate the rotate the squad. So by all means, you can you can have your cake and eat it too. You can rotate this squad, play a lot of younger players. And look, yeah, I, the the thing is, up. it's the last chance to get a look at maybe some of those players that you're not 100% sure on. There was a whole lot of players that he took to... There was a whole lot of players that he took to Spain and Portugal that probably deserved a look in that he didn't. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing the likes of your Hawksby's, your Michelle Heyman's, Maybe your crumbers, if you're going to give them that opportunity against some of those other players, your Princess Abini's give her that last shot to give and try and buy a ticket to Australia. Can't really say buy a ticket in this case, can we? Because they're just playing here. It's a weird phrase to say. Um, I could go on about Jacinta Galabadachi again. And even if you're looking at other parts of the field, like Matilda McNamara, I'm not sure what her situation is. Um, well, then you've also got players like Kayla Morrison, who borderline eligible for Australia now. If she's um, going to get the chance to have a look in. Yeah, I, I I read Morrison on the run sheet and I had to double check what you meant <laughs> because <laughs> I thought, nah, surely not. <laughs> but that would that would be pretty wild. And it, uh, such as in, in the debate we're having with experience or not, that is such a random one, eh? Because it's like, yeah, you can send Mitchell Jude to the World Cup, but you could also send Bruno Fornaroli. It's like, yeah, he's got all that experience. It's not the same vibe. Kayla Morrison giving off exactly the same vibe in a female sense because she probably, by her own merits, is an extremely experienced player and does deserve to be there. But she doesn't have that Matilda's experience. She doesn't have the international experience, and that's where it can well, get a bit Yeah, iffy. fair enough, I guess. But look, it's, it's a fair shout. I don't think it's a... It's not too much of a hot take, but if you're looking for that experience, yes, the, it does kind of rule her out. And unfortunately, it doesn't rule a whole lot of centre-backs out because we are kind of left short with experienced centre-backs in the Matildas. So if we're going to look for someone on natural ability, then yeah, Caleb Morrison does fit the bill. Look, I think we'll leave it there. Um, I think we've gone a bit over time. It's a bit longer than what I think we we're expecting. Um, that has been not... <laughs> yeah, It's meant to be a 30-minute episode, and we continually go over. Christian loves it. I almost went a whole episode without talking about Christian, our boss. So he'll be he'll he'll be almost psyched about no, it. We're, this we're point. Too busy talking about me playing video games, Cody. Nah, that was honestly you told me that, and I was I was laughing. That was hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was the best thing. That was the best thing I've heard all day. Shows how my day's gone though, actually. Well, anyway, look, that's been another episode of Front Page Dub. I'm your host, Cody Ajita. I've been joined by Matt Olson. Matt, you got any last words before we go? Yeah. Yeah, my tangents today. Um, I uh, you can tell I've had a lot of, on my mind stimulating me 
um for you know eight nine hours a day now that i'm now that i'm you know back back with the day job but um look i i promise this pod this pod will will go from strength to strength if if we match if we match the dub ladder hear me hear me out hear me out i know we're supposed to be finishing the podcast but if we keep the show chaotic and if we go on all these unhinged rants and tangents maybe the ladder will stay like that and maybe the top four will be toppled on uh, you know what every time we've gone on a rant about that Wanderers have come back. Jets have come back. The top four has opened up again. I'm glad we didn't go on any... Actually, you know what? Watch Larissa Kramer score a hat-trick this weekend. That's probably going to be where the curse hits us. <laughs> anyway, that's been, front, that's been another episode of Front Page Dub. We hope you've all enjoyed it, and we will be seeing you very soon. Bye.